Welcome to the Your Confident Self Podcast with Allegra Sinclair. Get ready to punch fear in the throat and gain confidence like never before. I help corporate women get the confidence to ask for the job they want and do the work they love. Isn't it time you got unstuck and showed the world how fabulous you are? Hey, welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. I always talk about how excited I am to have my guest, and today is no exception. We have been blabbing so rapid fire and having so much fun even before we got started. So I can't wait for you to meet Nicole Merrill. She's the founder of Future Skills, which is a consulting company that examines emerging forms of expertise, skills, and training for the new world of work. That's right all of that badassery in one person. She also freelances as an AI chatbot designer and a conversational AI analyst. I'm not even sure exactly what that means, but I know we're going to talk about that as we get going. But she has a focus on reducing the negative impact of AI on users. In her prior work, she was Associate Director of Career Services at the Yale School of Management, where she led cutting-edge career workshops for international MBA students and global executives. Then she left her work at Yale to upgrade career training for the future of work. And we are super excited to welcome Nicole Merrill. Hey, Nicole. Hi. Thanks for having me. I am so glad to have you here. What's the first thing you want my audience to know about you? Oh, uh, I, lo- I love that question. Um, I love a good conversation. I am, uh, an, I'm, I'm a pretty big extrovert, but I'm just always interested in, in talking with people and hearing their stories. So I'm always up for a good conversation. That's wonderful. And you won't believe this, the way we've been blabbling. That's right. Blabbering and blab- babbling. I call it blabbling. The they work. Talking, I am so an introvert. Oh, interesting. Okay. No, I had a long career in, I know, hold your, hold your panties. Public <laughs> relations. Why would I do public oh, relations wow. and media relations when I'm <laughs> introvert? Because yeah. when I do start talking, I have a little snappy patter, but <laughs> I do get my energy from being alone and people never believe that about me. And I'm like, why would I make that up? <laughs> oh yeah, I know. I, I have friends um, and even my partner are all introverts and you really wouldn't know it by talking to them uh, because they're really great conversationalists. Um, well, people think I, introvert means shy, but that's right. not at all. So right. you know all about that. Right. <laughs> well, I'm fascinated by so many things about uh, the examining the emerging skills needed for work. And the first thing that I thought of when I saw your uh, profile online was most of my clients are mid-career women. So they're um, around 40 and older. So these aren't people who are starting brand new work. These are accomplished right. women already. But they come to me for one of a couple of reasons. One is, okay, they're disenchanted with how the workplace seems to be changing and kind of leaving them behind. And that generates a fair amount of fear and uncertainty. Because if you have built your whole life and built your career to a certain point, and you're just, I mean, you are completely where you think you want it to be, and all of a sudden the landscape is changing, that could give you a little agita. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. The other one, though, is, and the reason why I'm really excited to talk to you, is that you have done some really turn stuff upside down, turn it on its ear. People in your universe probably thought, okay, this baby is crazy. Um, we don't call <laughs> him crazy anymore. We just say, she needs a little time. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Things in order to create a career that fit you That I think also uh, the other part of my clients. So there's the ones who are like, hey, I want to stay in the game. How do I do it? And then there are others who are like, 
okay, I've arrived at this place and I don't want it, but I don't know what I should want instead. So I think you have a delicious mix of experience (laughs) that will help both of those groups of people. Yes. So if we can start off here, what tip would you give to a mid-career woman so that she can remain confident in a workplace that seems to be moving? Oh, yeah. Um, Well, first, I just want to, you know, validate like that, that feeling, you know, I think a lot of times um, when people are looking at a change, or they're feeling some of these things, we tend to isolate ourselves and think we're the only ones going through that. And this is so common. And I know you probably hear this a lot, because you have clients who talk about it. But, um, you know, this noticing that things are changing and, and trying to figure out, you know, and wrangle this is, is a huge issue right now, in part because the workplace is changing at all levels from the executive down to the entry level. And the way that we were taught to think about work from a traditional career ladder model has really shifted. And a lot of us in, um, these, you know, kind of middle generations, we're not Gen Z, we're not baby boomers. I don't even know know if we have a name. (laughs) Right, right. We're just kind of in this group that was like raised to think like, go to school, get your career, and then you're you're set. And those are no longer the rules. The rules have changed, Mm -hmm. but we necessarily haven't all caught up. And so for women, um, you know, who are in that space that are like, wow, it seems like things are kind of getting away from me. um, One, I'd like to validate that. And two, talk about uh, uh, the tip that I would recommend is try to get your head around it now, right? Um, You know, these changes are happening whether we like them or not. And so really taking a step back and saying, okay, what specifically is happening? And and doing that in the context of your own career or your own industry or organization that you're in or the role that you're in and really start to look at it and say, well, what specifically is happening? We know change is happening, but what specifically is it? Is it the technology? Is it um, your skill set? Are the skills that you have... um, you know, less relevant to do the job that you want in the future? Is it um, maybe something where you need to, you know, look at some different learning experience to help you upskill? Um, really start by reflecting. Um, I think, you know, as a, as a career coach, right, the power of reflection as we go through this process is, is, is um, so necessary. Um, and we don't always take the time to do it in our careers, right? Especially as experienced career people. We're used to kind of, you know, having control of things. And we know stuff. Right. And we'll see, that's the thing, you know, this whole thing, going to your second group of women who are like, I think I should change, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, we tend to think of career changes as starting all over. And in some cases, you know, we are starting something new. We're bringing all of this knowledge and skills with us to that transformation and mm-hmm. the next job, whatever we choose. You know, and we tend to forget that as we go through this process. So hell yeah, we know stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's interesting and it's so complicated. As you were talking, I'm like, this is like the most complicated pattern of tile like ever. Right. Because... We want to be able to break things down into like a really simple thing. Okay, so how is the world of work changing? Well, all of a sudden, everybody's 12. Well, yeah. really, that's not true, right? <laughs> but it's, it feels that way. I did warn you right up front, we not met before, but yeah, it's just a truth-telling year. I, I just, love it. No, I, 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 I agree with you. you look around at the world of work and everybody's 12 except you. Mm, but yeah. that's really not what it is, right? Right. But that's what, because people want to make things really simple. Right. So if I suddenly realize that what used to make me sing in my workplace isn't there anymore, to your point, we don't necessarily stop and think, okay, what is going on with me? Even before we get right. to the workplace, what's right. going on with me, right? Have I changed? If not, 
maybe there was something that was in me all along that I was ignoring and now she won't be ignored anymore, right? Oh yeah. But it's not popular and people don't necessarily talk about taking a minute to figure out what on earth is going on. We just want to fix it. Oh yeah. In that company, <laughs> I, I wish I had ever had a boss come to me and say, we have this really big problem. What I'd like you to do is take about six weeks to think through this thing. <laughs> and then hey, come back to me with your first level thought. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> I like. I would. I would give up. I was about to say chocolate, but I don't eat chocolate. Oh, I, I, I don't think. Oh, popcorn. I do. I don't think I could give that up even for oh, that. No. Popcorn <laughs> is my kryptonite. Oh. I give up popcorn if a boss had ever said to me, "Wow, hey, think there may be something <laughs> happening. Take six weeks. Go ahead. Right. Go ahead. Your snacks. Right, and come back to me." But instead, we want kind of a microwave response. And the second thing is that we think, okay, if the world of work is changing, all of a sudden I don't have value. And that blows my mind. Where did that come from? How is the workplace being different translated into I'm worthless? I don't know where that comes from, but I'm personally doing my part to stamp that out. (laughs) Right, right. I think it's a, you know, again, a lot of factors. One, I think in American culture in particular, our, our work is so closely tied to our identity. Right. Mm-hmm. So this idea that, you know, you are what you do is mm-hmm. prevalent in the way that we talk to each other, the way that we, you know, introduce each other at professional events, right? The first question is, well, what do you do? Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is, it's not like that in other cultures. Um, I spent a lot of time abroad um, and living abroad and working with people from different cultures, you know, and I've been called out for that. I'd be like, well, why do we have to talk about what we do? There's so many more interesting things in our lives. That's so fascinating. I think, yeah, I think so they that, were calling you out for asking that question. <laughs> right, right. There, oh. Fun fact, there's a lot of other fun questions you're going to ask people. But my point being is that our identity is so tied to our work. And so when we start seeing things change and maybe we're not feeling as valued or our voices aren't being heard or we don't feel like we're creating impact in the organization, organizations or we've simply fallen out of love with what we've done. You know, it tends to reflect personally. I think that when I was growing up now, I'm old enough to have Mm -hmm. a dad who like went to work at IBM and that's where he worked like his whole time. Oh, right, right. right. Don't do that Right, no. Yes, Um, I'm in that generation where our parents did that. They like went to one place, they worked forever and they didn't understand people who did not do that. And you were taught that. You you, were still being taught that. Exactly. But the other thing is I thought the whole identifying with your work thing was a male thing Mm, because I'm also old enough to have had a dad who was like, um, yeah, he didn't want my mom to work because that, you know, mm-hmm. said mm-hmm. something to society about his ability to provide. Now, later after they got divorced, hello, she was a registered nurse. She had a very full career before they met, right? But she <laughs> having a full career when they divorced. But I didn't think that women so closely aligned their sense of self with their work. And what I have found is, yeah, we do. Yeah. Well, isn't that interesting too? I like that you point out the fact about, you know, um, I, you know, the way that traditionally the generation before us, um, you know, had this kind of, it was mostly the males that identified with work. Mm -hmm. The career ladder is really built for males. It's built for men that went to work, climbed the corporate ladder, stayed in the same place while women stayed at home and took care of the house and the children. So men Mm -hmm. could rise up. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, um, burn the career ladder down. It's worthless (laughs) now because, you, you know, in all truth, because it doesn't work um, anymore, right? You know, this idea that we're all going to constantly go to the next rung and anything that's not the next rung, you should be penalized for, 
right? That's really what's happened. So women that take time out of the workforce or caregivers Mm -hmm. or, you Mm -hmm. know, we've now got gig work, freelancing, entrepreneurships, women step out of the workforce to try to start a new business because they Mm -hmm. can, you know, and we've got side hustles. And so this career ladder model just doesn't work anymore. What's fascinating is when you talked about people not going to the next rung and being penalized for that, mm-hmm. the first thing that occurred to me was not only are they penalized, they're shamed. Exactly. Exactly. So um, that is like, we're going to have to have you back already, I can tell. That's a whole other <laughs> podcast. Well, right? I'll tell you, I like because <laughs> earlier you said the whole career ladder that's like broken and I was like is it broken and then you were like burn it I was like yes <laughs> <laughs> well I, I literally I just finished um I'm submitting my manuscript for my book this week um, oh, to my yeah. publisher and in it I have a chapter called death to the career ladder because oh, I just shut up. I, I honestly I like even know that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I mean I that's kind of going back to just that that traditional career advisor definitely pieces that are that are useful but but so much is built on that career ladder. And when it was built for half the population from a time that really emphasized employer loyalty and up and up, um, it just doesn't work for us. And, right. you know, I think that's why going back to the original question about why we start to feel a certain way when, you know, things are changing, it's because we're reverting to this, but I thought this is what I was going to do. Yes. Right. This, I, I this was the plan. He asked me to change. Right. <laughs> the plan was get in, stay put, work hard, move up. And that's been disrupted. Tell me a little bit about, because I loved your first piece of advice. So the first Mm. aha for all of us, not just for women who are necessarily talking to a coach, but for all of us in the world of work, the first thing to do is to stop and take an honest assessment of what is changing. So tell us a little bit about that. What is actually changing? Because I know the truth is not that all of a sudden everybody is 12. So what is the truth? I think one of the things that we can see happening is, um, one, the nature of jobs. So you're starting to see a lot more jobs become interdisciplinary. So a great example of this is like a graphic design job, right? Graphic design has been around for quite some time, obviously print, uh, magazines. Um, it overlaps with kind of art and creativity. Um, and in the last, I'd say, you know, 10 or so years, um, there have been a greater increase of graphic design jobs needing digital skills, so much so that they've created the role digital designer. Mm-hmm. Um, and these roles are still kind of vague. They kind of, you know, change depending on the organization that you're in. But, um, you know, this evolution from graphic design jobs to digital design jobs, what's happening is you're seeing things like, you know, as a graphic designer, you know, you need to know color, typography, layout, you know, you got to understand, you know, information design, things like that. But as a digital designer, you have to understand all of those things plus digital skills like HTML, CSS, digital marketing, um, Mm -hmm. front-end web development, things like that. And so you're seeing kind of these jobs start to merge together. And what's happening is that if you've been in your role maybe for a long time or um, haven't kept up to date with your skills, what's happening is you might go, you know, for the next role or the next, you might want to change out of it and find that maybe your skills aren't necessarily as current and you're not as qualified for the job. Despite the fact having the industry knowledge, the vocabulary, the experience, um, from a skill point of view, you may not have the skills that um, you need to do the next level. And so let me ask a question very quickly. Sorry to interrupt your flow. No, go for it. The Because I'm fascinated right there with that little piece of mm-hmm. um, by continuing to do excellent work in the spot that you were hired to be in, mm-hmm. you could still come upon a situation where you don't have the level of skill that the new position requires. Exactly. Right? Yep. But my question is, 
I think there obviously would be circumstances in which that was true, but is it sure. the way that the new job description is being written yes. or is it that we <laughs> really have like missed an opportunity to upskill? Do you see what I'm saying? Both. I would say both. Mm-hmm. I would say with the way job descriptions are written, my goodness, they are all over the place. Um, they are not always accurate. We know this, this is still true over, you know, <laughs> generations. I think that's a right? <laughs> So in all this change, we can always <laughs> count on job descriptions lie. But, yes. um, you know, yes, I think there is absolutely um, a challenge here in terms of skills. And what we're seeing is more um, positions require digital fluency. So the idea that you understand software, not necessarily being able to code, but understanding how it works, um, how, you know, users work, how it fits into the organization. And then we're also seeing data fluency. So the idea of data analytics. So how do organizations and teams use data to make decisions? And this is, I've seen it in entry-level roles, but it's also, we're seeing it in management roles. Um, and, you know, it's challenging, right? Uh, there are um, executives that are still trying to figure out how to make this work. And so you've got kind of all this turbulence, right, in the workplace. And the people that can come in and say, hey, look, I know how to, you know, um, evaluate programs. I know how to... Um, you know, collect the right amount of data. I know how to um, work with a data scientist team or implement, you know, um, data science uh, projects to, you know, show insights and get better um, information on our customers, right? These are the people who are going to get the jobs. <laughs> um, I love and that. I love that's that harsh. And yeah. actionable. But well, it, I right. don't know that I would characterize it as being harsh. Okay. But what I do think is it's actionable. Right. Right. To, to, for, to be harsh to me, what you're basically saying is, um, if you have ovaries, there's just nowhere for you to go, right? Oh, then, no, yeah. <laughs> right? But if yes. you're saying that the way that you were equipped to be in this spot today is not the way that you're going to be equipped to be successful on the next spot. Yeah. Now, that may be harder for me to hear if I spent my whole life getting to this spot that I'm in. But right. also, I wouldn't feel that pull. I wouldn't have that urge. I wouldn't feel that... Um, discomfort that makes me think about what the next thing is if I was completely satisfied with that. True. Right? True. So there are some folks who have gotten to a certain point. I have worked with some. <laughs> there are some yeah. folks who've gotten to a certain point and that's all they ever want to do. Just be in that one spot doing that exact same thing. Mm-hmm. No judgment. But mm-hmm. for the rest of us who might have um, an inkling to do something else or an itch to do something else. If we want to do the something else, again, there's no judgment there. Mm-hmm. We just need to understand that in order to move from where we are to where we want to go, we might need to make ourselves look different, mm-hmm. not look, look, but like look different in the, the way we position ourselves. Or right. yeah, maybe there are some different skills that we need to look at. I still remember I worked for a tech company and I was moving uh, to Arizona and this was so long ago that like email or uh, internet in your home was still a novelty. And it was definitely a novelty to my parents. And it was before, it was right before AOL, but I wanted to leave a computer in their home that had AOL on it. Yes, girl. <laughs> I wanted to leave been on it. <laughs> in their home that had dial up so that we could talk more because I was moving to a different time zone. Mm-hmm. And all that uh, we used to have to pay for long distance. God, I sound like a dinosaur. <laughs> but <laughs> no, I, I, I we are just shaking. behind you. So you're shaking myself like, oh, my I did God. all those I things. <laughs> but I still remember 
my mother was like, I don't want you to leave that computer here. And I was like, why not? And she's like, well, it could be listening to me. Right. So mm-hmm. what I'm saying is my mom was 78 when she passed and she was a ninja at that wow. time. Right. Oh. She had an iPad. She had a Mac I mean, she in her life. Right. But I still remember the days when she was like, oh, you can't leave that in here. If it could dial up and talk to you on the computer, <laughs> then it could be listening to me. So well. her skills that she needed right? Changed dramatically in her one lifetime. So I just think sometimes that part of our problem is that no one asked us if things could change. Right. Or no one taught you. Nobody taught you. There's the other room. How do you you ask the right questions? How do you figure out what the right skills are? And then how do you move there without being punished as you make mistakes along the path? Exactly. And I think that's, you know, that's a lot of my motivation in what I do because, um, you know, I was working before it um, Yale School of Management. I hustled my way into that job, and <laughs> what does hustle? <laughs> uh, I am not an I'm Ivy League degree school. person, <laughs> so I, you know, it was kind of a, it was kind of a. I ended up having to move there uh, because my partner got into school on the East Coast, so I moved there and uh, was freelancing. And I have an international background, and so I informally had career coached people um, to get jobs abroad, international students. So I kind of had this really niche skill set. And this job opened up at Yale School of Management as an international student career coach. And I was like, it was a brand new job. And I was like, huh, I wonder if I can get an interview at Yale. And my mom's like, you should try. And I was like, all right, my mom knows all the best things. Yay, so mom. They, I mean, she's good. And uh, I got that job. And much to my surprise, uh, battled a lot of imposter syndrome and then killed it in that job. I mean, I did, I did a really good job. But one of the things I learned, I learned a ton in that job. And one of the things I learned is that, you know, here these MBAs are, MBAs are 70% of them are career changers. You know, it's a degree that's built for career changers. And, right. you know, they, that's a different type of mindset going in and how you, you know, um, transform. And they're giving two years to transform, right? Mm-hmm. Plus, usually an internship to kind of bridge that transformational process. Most right. career changers don't have that. And I thought it's so interesting that, you know, we have this whole curriculum and I contributed to that curriculum of helping people change their careers and yet nobody else has this knowledge. So if you pay, a, you know, on average, it's about, I think, $80,000 to get an MBA, right? Um, you can get access to that kind of training and, or you could do a one-on-one coach, right? Obviously, career coaches have that. And it was just so eye-opening to me to see that nobody teaches you how to change careers. You're taught mm-hmm. how to make a resume. You're taught how to network. You're taught how to get into a job. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Right? I know. <laughs> <laughs> like, sometimes okay. I sit back and I giggle and I think, wow, for years we have succeeded in spite of ourselves. <laughs> well, we have. And people figure it out, right? There are all kinds of people out there that are figuring out, you know, how to change, how to reinvent themselves. I've done it like four times in my career, you know, and people figure it out, but not everybody. And I think that's where we start to see, you know, in, I, I assume in your own coaching practice, you start to see people coming to you and say, how do I do this? Mm-hmm. Right? And mm-hmm. it's not always clear. It isn't. Um, and I think part of that is um, still going back to that first point. So first you mm-hmm. said, hey, you really need to take a look at what's going on in the world of work. Right. And also really need to take a look at what you're doing in right. the world of work, right? Yeah. So tell me, um, I have decided that I want to change in order to remain a part of this vibrant corporate culture. Right. What skills should I focus on? Sure. 
Well, it depends on kind of what background you're coming from, but let's okay. assume so that- So let me rephrase. What skills yeah. should I focus on to remain relevant in the new workplace? Sure. I would say- <laughs> Is that a different for question? It down for me. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. I just you're obviously to- know your job seekers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I would say uh, top skills um, that I mentioned before, your digital skills and your data fluency skills, right? Um, so just understanding how um, digital skills affect the, the workplace. I see, you know, I've seen examples of this before. We tend to, you know, technology is, 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 is polarizing, right? There's, there's people that are like all about it. And then people are like, no, I don't even want to touch that stuff. But then there's the in-between, right? And it's about, you don't have to choose whether or not you like technology. I'll be the first to admit the AI, um, some of the, some of the things that are happening in the AI space scare the (laughs) out of me, honestly, to be honest. And I work in it. So, but the fact is, um, when I started this journey, I sought to understand. And your goal as someone in the workplace is to understand how is digital technology reshaping the workplace? How is it being used? Um, what is the software? Again, this isn't about learning to code, though that certainly could help, but I realize not everyone is you know, going to do that or really frankly interested in doing that. But it right. is still about understanding that work. It's about understanding you know, um, what systems are being created in your workplace, um, software and stuff like that and how is that being used by management by teams um it's really starting to get you know investigate what's going on in the workplace and everybody has access to doing that right um you could do it on the sly you could ask your manager you know is there a project i could get on you know um you could build relationships with software engineers and just do a job shadow um things like that, um, that really get you kind of understanding. And then the other part, um, is that data piece that I talked about understanding the basics of, um, business analytics and data analytics. There are tons of online courses out there that some are one-off that are just intros, some are longer, um, that you can use. And some, some companies even offer them for free in their, uh, you know, workplace learning initiatives. Mm-hmm. And so really starting to kind of start with, with that, but then branch out. Um, and focus on things like your communication skills. Um, communication skills are a massive bucket of skills, right? <laughs> like, and it's bucket of skills. Yes, yeah, you've been in PR. You understand. Page. Yeah, uh, I was. I still say I'm a communicator, but I have never called myself someone the holder of a bucket of skills. <laughs> But you are a lot, a massive bucket. I mean, here's the thing. Like, I'm a communicator, and I know, like. So to, if you were a communicator, you know that like it's the one skill that everyone thinks they have, but they actually, most of them don't, right? Because the people write, we text, we talk, oh, we communicate, but that's, mm-hmm. that's not communication, right? Like it's, it's understanding how to write for different contexts. It's communicating right. new ideas. It's public speaking, taking feedback, listening to people, active listening mm-hmm. is communication. Mm-hmm. Side note. Uh, when I learned to be a career coach, I had to learn active listening skills and it made me very tired <laughs> because <laughs> listening, I'm sorry, <laughs> it made you tired. Oh my God. The first like three weeks of that job of just listening to people, like actively listening and not trying to solve problems for people because that's what a coach does, right? It's, it's, it's active listening plus you know, um, advice. And, um, Ooh, I had to learn to do that. Do you think, so two things, one, yeah. coaches don't solve and we don't give advice, right. but right. 
Do you think it was exhausting because it was a new muscle? I mean, nobody yes. teaches yes. you when you're coming up that you should listen to people. Don't think about what you're going to say back because they haven't right. even finished saying it yet. You should focus on listening. So was it the muscle thing? Was it because you're more extroverted? Why yes. do you think in particular that you struggled with active? Oh, uh, the, exactly what you said. Um, I am a, an extreme extrovert. Okay. Um, you know, I came from a job where I was a study abroad advisor. So, um, previously, so I was used to just giving advice. And so oh, I thought you. coaching was the same thing. And then I went through training and I was like, Oh, this is not about giving advice. Right? <laughs> Wasn't thought, it a delicious moment though? When you oh, thought, I loved oh, it. I don't have to have all the answers. Oh <laughs> yes. And, and, and I do, I, I legitimately am curious about people and their backgrounds. And so it was wonderful to be able to just take it in and not have to be on the spot, you know, because here I was working with people with brand names and they're going into management consulting and elite firms. And I got no idea about that stuff at the time. (laughs) So like just being able to like listen. And so, you know, when it comes back to communication, right, I will tell you active listening is probably one of the the most underrated skills that you can use in an organization because once you start listening, Mm. oh, people will tell you so many things because Mm -hmm. they want to be heard, Mm -hmm. you know, and it builds relationships. And so, you know, going back to communication, this is not a skill that you read a paper, you know, an essay or take an online class and boom, you've got communication skills. It's an implied skill that you have to work on consistently, you know? Um, you know, if, if you've ever had a boss that, that talked at your face or sent you a, you know, 500 word jargon filled email, you know, that's not communication, right? Like we used to tease all the time. I used to work at General Mills and we used to tease all the time that somebody from another area of the company would like read an article on in the magazine on the airplane yeah. <laughs> and then they would come to work with their article in hand and proceed to tell us what we should do with whatever campaign okay. and I'm like now that had to have been a hell of an article but yeah also an article dude <laughs> right right well you that's doing? the thing is that you have so much content and so it's easy to read about how you can you know how you can get to be better at communication but um one of the things i do i teach public speaking and i, I love public speaking it's probably my favorite thing to do and you know i tell people like look the idea here isn't that your first time you go out and give an hour-long workshop it's about breaking that down and and starting with get used to hearing your voice so at a meeting take three minutes to express your idea right Teach your colleagues something for 10 minutes, right? This is how you start to build a skill. Mm -hmm. And it's baby steps and it's not going to happen overnight. And I would tell you, communication, um, honestly, we talk so much about technical skills and yes, they're necessary, but it's really that sweet spot. It's about having the technical understanding alongside of these communication skills, this big bucket Ooh, that of was skills. A tweetable. So it's the, the recipe is the technical skills as the mm-hmm. foundation, but mm-hmm. the, the frosting. Oh, yes. <laughs> that is I'm always going to bring it back to some of it involves food, which cracks me up. And I'm always oh. using cake as an analogy and I never even eat cake. It's oh, just, really? yeah, I'm oh. not a sweets person. My thing is Edo, Frito, Cheeto, Tostito, Dorito, oh. Pum, Tamama. I love Fritos. But I'm going <laughs> to, I could watch, there's a whole other podcast episode about me and Cheetos. But 
we're going to come back to before we get on the call. You were talking about something called power skills that mm-hmm. you thought were critical for everybody to have. Yeah. So I'm just going to assume that communication is one of them. Yes. What are the others? Um, so the ones that I've already re- listed, um, data fluency, digital fluency, communication skills, or power skills, um, just defining power skills. Um, these are the skills that are portable from job, from role to role. These are not industry specific. They are not, um, you know, role specific. Uh, these are the things that employers want that make, you know, this really, um, well-rounded either job seeker candidate or employee. So, um, you know, these are things like systems thinking, right? If you work in a cor- corporate organization, um, you know, that's a complex system. And your ability to understand how your work fits into both your team goals and the company as a whole is critical. And so that goes back kind of to, back to the idea of investigating your organization. As we, you know, we're, we're moving from this, this um, leadership model and, and, and style of silos, right? Into more interdisciplinary um, organizations. Uh, Harvard Business Review just came out with an article called Cross-Silo Leadership. And it was all about how leaders need to think more interdisciplinary. They need to hire teams with interdisciplinary skill sets so they can collaborate across disciplines. Oh, I like. What was that? Tell me again. It was was called, yeah, it was called uh, Cross-Silo Leadership. I will hunt that up and put that Link to that in the show notes. Yeah, it was it was so interesting to see, um, you know, because I've been seeing it happening from you know uh, an employee level, um, from job descriptions that are out there as we as we kind of emerge into what's called these hybrid jobs, kind of what I talked about earlier, where you know mm-hmm. where it's not just you know IT people don't just do IT anymore, right? Um, the this is this is about understanding how all of your work fits together inside the organization. Um, so if you're a creative person that's working on a team, um, I used to be in a creative job, you know, learning about how the budget works could maybe help you find savings in your creative vibes, right? Gotcha. Um, it's, it's, it's really looking beyond your silo, your everyday work to understand how it all fits together. And what this does is that um, it starts, it, you know, it forces you to ask very curious questions about the organizations and it opens up new opportunities. Because once you start exploring inside your organization, you start thinking about, well, what else is out there? Could I do this? Mm-hmm. That's good. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of them. Knowledge management is another. Um, you know, we're swimming in content, right? Online, in our workplace, you know, your ability to make sense of that, um, all of that information to curate it, um, you know, is really useful um, in your place of work. It helps you communicate better, obviously, but again, it's about uncovering insights. And when you think about your own career, right? Um, we've talked about upskilling a bit and, 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 you know, learning new things so you can stay relevant in your career. Knowledge management is part of that. Right, mm-hmm. being able to say what's out there, what is it that mm-hmm. I should be learning, and then managing, you know, the process of learning. Or even I agree with all of that. Mm-hmm. I am co-signing. You can't see me, but I'm waving a handkerchief. <laughs> or being able to look at ten different pieces of information and figuring out which one is oh, actually yes. relevant at that moment. I think Absolutely. that's the other part of. So you're right. There's so much information, and how do you? It takes skill to figure out. It takes skill. It takes practice and it takes discernment to figure out, okay, what Absolutely. is noise and what does the organization actually need to do something with? And yeah. I think that's where a lot of people struggle, period, even without the influences of the changing workplace, et cetera. But it's, you know, new level, new devil. As you go up in the organization, there's yeah. a ton more information, but there's also a greater need to be able to figure out what information matters. Absolutely. Right. Like kind of what you said about that, uh, you know, the manager who came out with the article. Right, like, how yeah. is that relevant to us? Right, like, amen. 
it was just it was just a great source of entertainment because I'm like I can't imagine I could see that happening in a couple of areas within an organization and communications yeah. obviously because I saw that a lot but people I suspect do that to HR people as well like that's not a science you know yeah. the, Hey, I read an article on how people should be motivated. Thought that I'd pass that on to you. <laughs> Put that into effect. <laughs> Let's get a little of this. Check. Yeah. Well, and I think it's easy right now to just read. Like we're so there's so much content, YouTube, podcasts, you know, articles, our feeds are full of content. It's really easy to think that you know everything because you read it. But in fact, again, going back to these applied skill sets, right? Mm-hmm. Most of us know that collaboration is a skill we should have. And yet, I mean, this is one of the power skills too. And yet, actually collaborating with people and being able to produce work when pe- with people whose ideas and experiences differ from yours. Ooh, say it again for the people in the back. Yes, <laughs> right? The so differ. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so these perspectives are so valuable when you're designing, creating, producing work, you know, um, and, and we need more of that. And what happens is that we're, you know, we've been educated in silos with, you know, the old school work model is, you know, one team works on this, one team works on this, but, you know, especially in the field of tech and, and new technology, you know, you're building products that, are, that, that affect people across, you know, uh, all kinds of lines, right? Ethnic lines, racial lines, gender lines, um, you know, uh, socioeconomic lines. And so the ability to reach out and understand people from different perspectives and work with them is crucial. And it's a skill that, again, um, you don't see management teaching you. Like, how do you actually learn that skill? Who teaches you that, right? Mm-hmm. Because um, we tend to think that people are just magically bestowed. These oh, yes. Things, right? Oh, yes. We don't see the process. Oh, we yeah. See the result, right? Right. So it cracks me up because people always use like the same three examples. So if you talk about, well, in my universe, down here, uh-huh, uh-huh. right? So we were very bitter that um, Amazon didn't end up going anywhere near either Research Triangle Park or Charlotte. Mm-hmm. When I say we, I mean the state. Me, right. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Prime now still comes to my house within 90 <laughs> I am fine. But I'm right. just, there were people who took that very personally. But you think of, okay, so who's a visionary? Okay, so uh, Jeff Bezos is visionary. Who's visionary? Okay, um, the guy's in charge of Apple. Who's a visionary? Oh, Oprah. You act, yeah. like, act like these people just suddenly woke up, took a shower, <laughs> were washed with innovation, creativity, <laughs> And inspiration. And then came out on the other side as household names. You know it. Yeah. That's of course that's how they did it. <laughs> yeah, right. It's but so there are crazy. Those, you are one of those people. The person sitting mm-hmm. next to you is one of those people. Mm-hmm. It just mm-hmm. takes attention and it takes practice. Absolutely. One of the things that you said earlier, um, when you were talking about how you struggled <laughs> with active listening skills, <laughs> and the piece of it was not that you said you were struggling, but the piece that really struck me was that people want to be heard. Yeah. And I think we often talk about um, the people who do most of the talking, mm-hmm. and we think that those people are the most influential. Mm-hmm. But I think influence inside organizations has changed dramatically in mm-hmm. the last 10 years as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily the super charismatic, loudest talker or the smoothest talker mm-hmm. who has the greatest influence because mm-hmm. influence and charisma are two different things. Definitely. Influence I think charismatic actually, people that are terrible. <laughs> but 
Well, yes, we have seen them on TV as well, haven't mm-hmm. we? Isn't that Ted Bundy thing on right now? <laughs> I think they said he had charisma for days, but no, on the back end, not so nice. Not, not so nice. But he was also influential, but that's a whole that's other thing. <laughs> but I think of influence as something that people miss mm-hmm. because they don't realize when they have it mm-hmm. and they don't realize the value of it, that it actually has currency. And I think mm-hmm. part of that is, how, what does influence in an organization look like? And then how do you get more of it? And how do you know? Right. Um, so I think, you know, when I think about influence, I'm always thinking about it, like in the terms of more mid-level career, right? Because I think that's when we start to kind of start to think, well, yes. mm-hmm. I've got some ideas. Mm-hmm. And I would like to see change. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's kind of that's kind of where I uh, tend to talk about influence in this context. Um, so thinking about it, you know, in the in the context of your own organization, what does influence look like? I'm sure your listeners um, have, have had the experience where they've looked at something and gone, why do we do it this way? <laughs> right. Um, today. Right. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, and who's in charge? Who made this decision? Why did they make this decision? Right. We start questioning. Right. And it's so what do you do with those answers? Right. And so it's influences is is taking action on the things that you want um, to change and or maybe change. It might be too strong of a word shape. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. I like the idea of shaping things because, you know, that's how change happens. It's people that decide I want to reshape things in a way that I think is going to, you know, have better outcomes. that makes more sense. Um, We do it on, you know, minor scales, scales all the time. You know, going back to the person that has influence. Um, is not always the loudest talker. I think of people who, um, you know, get shit done behind the scenes, right? So we always talk about the entrepreneur, but we never talk about the person who's, you know, behind the scenes getting everything done, right? right. Mm-hmm. Um, and those people create incredible influence because, you know, they're building context. They're, um, you know, uh, creating processes that, that are more efficient, right? I know a lot of, um, I used to be an administrative assistant for a long time. And I tell you what, those, they were mostly women. Um, those women had incredible influence. You want to know why? They were the gatekeepers mm-hmm. to all of management, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, and so influence can be, is going to depend on where you're at in the workplace. But when you're going back to the idea, you know, how do you build influence? It, it starts with relationships. Um, and this is where it's getting to know people, both um, decision makers and people um, behind the scenes right? And figuring out what motivates them. What are their, you know, what projects are they working on? Um, and, and having open discussions with them, right? At the core, it's about conversation. You know, you can study an organization all you want, but it's people that make up an organization. So getting to know them and talking to them about, you know, what they're working on and then taking some of those, um, the information that you need and starting to raise your voice about it. Does that make sense? So, you know, Mm -hmm. sitting, if you're in a meeting, speaking up, I think we, you know, depending on, what organization you're in, it, it's sometimes hard <laughs> to speak up, right? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'll be honest, like I've worked on um, engineering teams where it's all men and getting, you know, hurt is difficult. And yet I still need to speak up, right? Because I have a perspective that needs, um, that needs to shape the decisions. And so, you know, it's getting comfortable with that. And then it's also, you know, getting comfortable doing things like public speaking, right? If you can teach, you have an incredible opportunity to influence in the workplace. I think what is um, interesting to me is part of the pain, I think, that I hear when people come first is that they're not being heard. And there's that um, uh, 
I feel like what I'm bringing to the table isn't what they want moving forward. Mm -hmm. And it's the feeling invisible and you want to feel significant. Right. 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 So I think that there are opportunities to build on your influence to get those opportunities to influence, to have a greater impact. But we tend to dismiss those because they might not be as big or as showy. Oh, yeah. As we sit here now, it's often difficult to know what success looks like. I have a friend who started a new job within the last year. Mm -hmm. And her idea of what was the things that she should be working on most in order to be successful was like at the opposite end of the pole from her employer. Mm-hmm, but she mm-hmm. didn't know that till like six months in when they're having a conversation about how things aren't going well. And she's like, wait, I am killing it. Here are my, <laughs> right, right here are my performance. Look at it. Look Here's at it. I'm looking at no, these right here. It is a smoke show. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, yeah, we understand you're doing all that, but we, I mean, we care about that. We care, but like with a little C, not a big C. Right. Over here have the big C attached to them. Right. Which is a painful place to be. It hurts. Yeah. If to your point, if we had um, established different relationships and if we, I'm always talking about punching fear in the throat. If we had been brave enough to ask some of those questions earlier and to ask them consistently, it would have been less painful because I wouldn't have waited six months in to say, hey, what are you measuring me on? Like, what are your success factors? Because here's what I'm bringing to the party. And until you tell me different, this is the ruler I'm going to use. Right. Right. Because then six months earlier, I would have known that I had the wrong ruler. Right. I think, you know, choose to do some of those things that were on my ruler, but I would need to know that I need to cover the things that I was actually being judged on. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, you know, that goes back to that communication um, skill, right? Um, You know, I I talk about, uh, I've talked about this before, you know, um, I tell people in their jobs to keep a list. And the list is actually, (laughs) this is all that you've done that your boss hasn't noticed. Because what happens is we tend to think that our bosses are always paying attention to what we're doing. And the truth is, a lot of times they're not, right? And so, you know, I talk the list in the context of like preparing yourself for future promotions. But um, when it comes to, you know, making sure that you're on the right track and doing the right things, you have to have a conversation with your boss from the beginning. And we mm-hmm. can't expect that the, you know, they're going to sit you down and say, this is what you need to accomplish in your first three, six and nine months. Right. So take the opportunity to start that conversation from the beginning and take the opportunity to also summarize what you've done and communicate it to your boss as well. Right. We're taught that like, especially as women, that bragging is bad, but this isn't bragging. This is packaging your accomplishments and saying, hey, just want to let you know, um, here's what I've done to help us get closer to our department goals. So you did two magical things there that I don't want people to miss. So one of them was you said... um, Okay, so you keep this list. I call it an add a girl folder, right? Okay, yeah, exactly. Folder at any time. If I'm having a moment, I can go to the folder and I can feel good. Absolutely. I can remind myself of things that I did because I skip past them in the day to day when I'm just killing it day to day. Absolutely. Oh, I'm killing. Well, I do more now, but (laughs) I certainly did it for many years, right? Right. But, and, not for nothing, but when you're out winning awards and stuff that aren't necessarily related to exactly what your company does, mm-hmm. yeah, those are nice for your industry, but they don't. you can't spend them at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. So I loved the magic of creating a list that enables you to 
put your story together at the drop of a hat because if mm-hmm. you don't pay attention and then 10 months in, you suddenly are scrambling trying to figure out what you did for the last 10 months. Maybe I'm too ADD, but I couldn't come up with a list. Oh, anyway, yeah. Good if I hadn't kept the folder all year long. But right. the second thing that was magical is that you reframed what it sounded like. So mm-hmm. instead of... um saying, okay, well, I didn't do all that stuff you asked me. What you said was, I might not have been as focused on this, but what I did was, right? So you Mm -hmm. turned what could have been a negative into a positive and you spoke in a way that felt more powerful than going in there and saying, oh my gosh, you wanted me to do X. Well, for 10 months, I haven't been doing that, but you know, I've been doing this other thing on this. See how my voice is getting lower and lower. (laughs) I'm almost apologizing for my accomplishments. It's very important to figure out how to communicate in a way that you stay powerful because right. you in the day to day, feel more successful, be seen as more successful, get more opportunities to be successful, all yeah. that good stuff. Yeah. Um, I want to add to, there was another thing um, on building influence in the workplace, um, something that tends to go overlooked, but I would love to encourage uh, listeners to do um, is start pitching at conferences, your industry conferences. Um, especially if you can get the, 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 uh, backing from your workplace, if not, that's okay. You can still do it. Um, because what that does is it starts to raise your profile in your industry, not always in your workplace. And then, you know, when you could go to your employer, there's two, two ways to do it. It's, you know, go to your employer and say, Hey, look, there's this conference. I'm going to pitch it. You know, this is why, you know, excuse me, does pitch it mean you're going to speak? Yeah. So you, what, what happens is, is every, every conference has a call for proposals. Okay. And it goes out, they tell you exactly what they're looking for. And you say, okay, here's a talk I'd like to give. This is especially for women who have been sitting there going, I've got ideas. I've got gotcha. something that I want to shape, right? I just wanted to make sure that pitch in your vocabulary meant sure. the same thing. It didn't matter. <laughs> sure. No, that's good. <laughs> hey, as communicators, this is what we do, right? We define and get on the same we page. Clarify. We clarify. Amen. Yes. That's what we do. That, did you see how we just did that? I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I have so much appreciation for this. <laughs> yes. So, but I didn't want to dethrone, I didn't want to distract you. So when you say pitch, you mean you're uh, sending in a formal um, proposal to the conference yes. that you could speak on this topic. I love that. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I think, you know, I have worked with, you know, I've done kind of talks on public speaking and I start talking about this because, you know, it's one of these ways to, if you're not having success being heard in your organization, go pitch at a conference because Mm -hmm. let me tell you what, it feels really good to have an audience there that's listening to your ideas and it forces you to grow. Because, um, you know, a lot of times we have these ideas and we're, again, going back to we're going to consume content and convince ourselves that we're, we're right, right? But it forces you to then articulate your ideas. Mm-hmm. And for anyone that wants to get better at public speaking, if you get accepted, you've got a deadline. So now that you've got a deadline, you have to do it, which means you're forced to practice this skill. And so it's really an incredible way to really get comfortable, one, pitching your ideas to a conference, right? So you're... You're summarizing them and, you know, uh, making them match what a conference needs. But then also once you're in the conference and presenting, being able to articulate them and try them out and see how they land. And what's amazing is when you do that, people come talk to you, Mm -hmm. right? And all of a sudden they're asking you questions and they want your feedback. And honestly, I've had a job opportunity from it that I did not take, but someone says, you know, we have this opening. Are you interested in it? I think you'd be really good at this. And it's like, that is amazing. Oh my God. <laughs> but no. Right? So But no, thank you. But I'm sorry. I'm, How delicious was that? Right. The most delicious. amazing opportunity that you got to t- that you had the choice and yes. you decided to turn down. 
So if you're not feeling heard in the workplace, this is an mm-hmm. alternative solution to really build confidence, build skills, and also just get your voice out there because the more women we can have speaking at conferences and sharing their ideas on how to shape the future, um, the, the better it's going to be, right? So, I love so, that. Yeah. Love, love, love that. Like I want a spoon to just eat that <laughs> up. I think that's an awesome. So I was going to ask you later, but I can ask now if you, um, because I think you've done a great job at kind of, um, I don't want to say um, on a whim, but you have been skillful at changing careers. Yeah. And often um, people will think, oh, well, it's too late for, I talked to somebody the other day who's like 35 years old and she said it was too late to change oh, careers. No. And I just wanted to tell her, I think I have a bra older than you. You can still <laughs> change careers. You could be 72 and decide to change your career. Amen. Much yes. less 35. Can yeah. I give you a permanent permission slip to Please, do what no, makes no. you happy? Right. Please, pretty, pretty. Right. But for people who feel stuck, I think that is a, that's probably not how you would have answered the question, but that's an excellent, <laughs> right? That's an excellent option. Hey, what do you do when you feel stuck? Go yeah. speak somewhere else, right? Yeah. Get your, some feedback on your, I love that. So yeah. that would be a great way. But what would you tell someone who's feeling stuck mm-hmm. how to get unstuck? And it doesn't even necessarily have to be, okay, I want to get unstuck and leave. I have a friend who did this. Love, love, love this girl. She was a lawyer. Uh-huh very successful lawyer and she quit and went back to school and got a master's and now she teaches and she loves that even more. And, but everybody doesn't have to do something that dramatic. All career changes don't have to be that dramatic. Right. You said earlier was you can discover fantastic new opportunities right inside your company. Right. So what overall advice would you give uh, folks who feel stuck? How do they get unstuck? Okay. Two pieces of advice. Uh, I'll try to keep it a little less rambly because this is like one of my favorite subjects. But um, one, embrace your curiosity. Um, We've really been, it's kind of been drilled in our heads that we got to find our passion. Mm -hmm. And there's benefit to finding passion, right? It motivates you in a job. But the problem with finding your passion is that those who can't find their passion feel stuck. They feel like they're not going to be able to make a change until they find their passion. If you can't find your passion, then then what, right? And so I, I recommend really taking a step back from that and thinking of it through the lens of curiosity. What's interesting to you, right? And this can be so many things. When you're in the career exploration phase, you don't have to have an answer right away, right? This isn't about making the career plan right now. It's trying to figure out a direction. And so being able to look at things that interest you, um, I can, I, um, I'll tell you, I just made a career shift, um, from being a global career coach to, um, a chatbot designer. So I work on automated, uh, software that mimics human language to, um, interact with humans. And I don't, I am a non-technical person working on an AI team right now. Okay. And I started because I had read an article about AI about four years ago. And I was like, what the hell is this crazy technology? <laughs> right. I was like, wait a minute. Like I kind of heard about robots taking our jobs. But I was like, I don't even know, you know? And then I read this article and I was like, it blew my mind. And I was like, well, I, I got to learn more. And so I just started going down the rabbit hole of AI and just kind of looking and reading and trying to figure out, well, what is it? Um, how is it being applied? Right. And, and what, what's the impact of it? And in this case, I'm, I did it in the HR vertical. So I was looking at AI at work, how automated uh, software is changing the hiring process and changing um, jobs. And okay. what that looked like was just a lot of reading, honestly. Um, and the way that I ended up getting my job was because <laughs> I had written a blog post about um, interview chatbots. And I saw a job and I pitched them and said, by the way, I've been writing about all these interview chatbots. I think I should work for you. 
Okay, I'm summarizing. Move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm summarizing. I mean, like the job description did not fit my background, but I was like, I know I can do this job. Right. So, but that's a very long story cut short to say I started with curiosity. Mm-hmm. I didn't know this was, it, it's not my passion. Is AI my passion? Mm, no, not really. Uh, it's a bit of an obsession right now, but I'm relentlessly curious about it and I'm curious about its impact on people. And so starting with curiosity is a great point. Start reading, watching YouTube videos, listening to podcasts, you know, all these listeners right here, there are tons of really cool industry podcasts out there where you can just start thinking like, is that a job for me? Is that something that's interesting? And work Mm -hmm. backwards from there. Mm -hmm. Um, The second piece of this is to start talking to people. This goes back to this idea. We, I think you touched on it earlier about this idea of shame, right? We're all kind of like, we feel bad that we're going to switch jobs or that it's not working out anymore. And, 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 and I want to break that stigma. You know, the workplace is changing. The way that employers treat us are changing. That requires us to change too. So there's no shame in, in taking stock of what you what interests you and what you're curious about and what you'd like to do to better your, your uh, professional life, right? And so go out and talk to people. There are, are two really good questions you can ask as you're talking to people. You know, people always talk about what their job is. Ask them, how did you get into that job? It's such a powerful question because people will start to, un- their stories will come out and mm-hmm. you'll have all these interesting paths right? And eventually you'll start talking to people who are like, oh my gosh, I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know that was a job. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and these, these conversations with people, um, we tend to, you know, exist right now in digital environments, right? We text a lot, we <laughs> email a lot, but the actual openness to having an open-ended conversation with somebody about their career path is so valuable. It, it's qualitative data is what it is, right? And from those experiences, you learn from people. Um, a really good example of this is I had a job once as a travel writer and I was interviewing um, one of our staff members. This is a man who had been to, gosh, over 100 countries. And I was talking to him about his job. I didn't know what his job was. And it turns out his job was a travel scout. And I was like, a travel scout? Well, now what the hell is that? <laughs> I was uh, that. Right? So, cause I didn't know this job existed. And here I was like a language and culture junkie who only wanted to travel in my job. And at the time I was a private jet travel writer, though I wasn't traveling ironically. So I was interviewing him and he told me what his job was. And I was like, well, what does a travel scout do? He's like, oh, I travel to all these exotic sites and try out the hotels and try out the activities and figure out if we can bring our tour of 75 people to this organization. Wow. And I went, shut That's a up. job. <laughs> right. <laughs> Wow! Made a report back to you know headquarters saying, "Yeah, you can take your things here." And I'm Mm -hmm. paraphrasing. There's logistical considerations, blah blah Mm -hmm. blah blah blah. But holy crap, that's a job. Here I was with this beautiful private jet travel writer title, right? And I was coveting the job that is travel scout. Like I was like, "Screw my job! I want this job." (laughs) And that's the power of conversation. Is is you learn about people. We make so many assumptions about what a job is, right? Um, this happened with a friend of mine who's a firefighter. And she was like, oh, you know what's funny about my job is everyone thinks, you know, I just fight fires, but what I'm actually doing is customer service. And I was like, excuse me? She was like, oh yeah. She goes, every time I show up at a scene, I need to assess what's going on and figure out their problems, solve them, and, you know, and 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 then move along because she also does, you know, she's dealing with people. It's not always fires. And I was like, gosh, I've never really thought about it that way. Mm. You, you know, saved cats and put out fires, right? Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
And oh, and of course, pose for calendars. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, and so it's these, again, going back to that idea of conversations, and it's so overlooked as, as a tool in your change process, especially when it comes to exploration, right? Because you don't have to have the answers right now. You just need to get, you know, get on a path of, of, of figuring out what interests you. I love both of those ideas. Um, curiosity, embracing curiosity and exploration, because I remember mm-hmm. it's funny because you were talking about, uh, well, when you're in career exploration, you don't have to make a choice. Mm-hmm. I remember going to college and kind of before I even stepped on campus for the first time, people were like, well, what are you going to major in? Oh my, I, yes. I get a book, get a book <laughs> room, right? But yeah. I don't know what it is like for children going to college now, but I remember feeling a lot of pressure, even freshman year, to figure out what the pudding I wanted to do with the rest of my life, which is insane because who knows the answer to that? No, you don't. We don't. But that's (laughs) how we used to do it in the olden days. But I think that the conversation around kind of how how did you get into that, I remember I'm trying to think who was teaching this. Maybe when I was just getting started in public relations, they used to suggest that people do that a lot. But mm-hmm. there was an undercurrent mm-hmm. at that time that mm-hmm. I want a job. So I'm saying I want to talk to you about what you want to do and how you got there. But really, I just want to figure out if you can hire me, which right. is a different energy than what you're talking it about. Is. But yeah. you set it up differently by saying we're in this exploration process. We're totally embracing curiosity to see what happens, right? So I do remember a time when there would be, I don't know, 10 to 20 requests a week. Hey, can I take you for coffee and pick your brain about how you got where you're going? I mean, how you got where you are. That's really not what those conversations were about. Right. And so I think they had to burn themselves out because they were disingenuous. Right. New conversations, I think, have a tremendous upside. A, we don't talk anymore, to your point. We text. Mm -hmm. I have been... I have had someone call me on the phone and intentionally not answered it because I knew they would text me or vox me. And I was in the middle of something and (laughs) it takes 23 minutes to recover from an interruption. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to take those 23 minutes until I figured out what the topic of the conversation was. And then after I thought, I kind of (laughs) suck. That was not a great thing to do. (laughs) But I really did need to finish what I was working on right. Right. But we are craving that like one-on-one conversation. So I think that's also a great idea. As long as you are in the completely embracing curiosity part right. because seeing other people's career paths always gave me hope. Right. Because you think that there's only one way to get someplace and you're not in, on that current ladder. Right. <laughs> you, think you can't get to where that person went when you, right. there are a number of different paths, <laughs> right? Yeah. There's a bunch of different ladders, but I think both of those are excellent ways of getting unstuck because at the end of the day, in order to get unstuck, you have to decide to not be stuck. Right, right. It takes right. energy to stay stuck. We act like it doesn't. Yeah. Like, oh, it's just this thing that's happening to me. No, you're actively choosing stuck every day. Right. In order to stay stuck. Right. <laughs> well, and you know, it's like, you know, I tell people like, you've got to claim your space, right? You have to actively say like, I- I'm making a change, right? I think that goes back to kind of that shame in, in, in wanting to change your job or whatever. Claim that space. You know, and say, you know what? I'm just, I got to make a change. I have to change. I don't know what it is yet, but I'm going to figure it out. Right. And, you know, there is some external pressure. People kind of going back to what you said about like having to choose your college major. And people are like, well, what are you going to do with that? I was a French major, a French lit major. Everybody was like, what in the hell are you going to do with that? (laughs) 
right? And you're like, but I love language, you know, and, and culture. And, and they're so, like, what does that have to do with anything? Anything, right? And, and there are so many of us out there who have maybe chosen that and experienced that. And what happens is later on in your career, again, people will be like, well, what are you going to do? That's like the first question. Well, what are you going to do when you say you want to make a change? And it's because, you know, they, we like nice, tidy packages as Americans. We want problem solvers. We want things sorted out and we want go-getters. And so this ambiguous space, because career changes are very ambiguous in the beginning when you don't know what you want to do, makes people uncomfortable. So being able to be comfortable with that discomfort and say in that ambiguity and say, no, you know what? I'm claiming my space right now. I'm going to change. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to figure it out. And then start that process, right? Um, it's, it's, a, it's a very powerful um, kind of like planting your flag and saying, okay, I'm done with this mediocre job. I am going to move along, right? And I think the brilliance of that is, underst- I think we get to a place where we don't care as much what other people think. Right, exactly. And, and I think that's what's nice about being later on in your career, right? Yes, but we don't always see that as a joy because right later on, there's people depending on you, right? You have right. people reporting to you. You know, you probably have a mortgage. You have other stuff. But right. I still think the magic is getting to the point, whatever it takes you to get to your point, but getting to that point where you decide, hey, what I'm creating is going to look different than yes. what you're creating. And I'm yes. okay with that. And if you're not, that's your work to do. Why are you mad at me? <laughs> right, right. I mean, it makes people not- career. Right. It makes people nervous. When you start talking to people about wanting to change, um, I, I know I had this experience as a person who has quit my jobs to travel abroad or, or interrupt the, the traditional, you know, climb the path. Stepping off that path, people have been like, well, why would you do that? Well, what are you going to do? Well, how's it going to turn out? It makes them nervous, <laughs> you know? And But we're seeing more of that now. We are just, because the world of work has changed. And so Going back to what I said earlier about gig work, entrepreneurship, um, freelancing, side hustles, you know, um, we're seeing more of that flexibility. And I think the more that we talk about that, I, we reduce the stigma of doing that, right? And I think, you know, the, the, the flip side of all this change is that it gives us more flexibility to define what we want out of a career. Yes. You know, before it was like we defer to what the employer tells us. There's this incredible stat that I read that was, um, I think it was from Deloitte, that said only... 19% um, of companies have traditional uh, roles anymore, traditional career path roles. What percentage? Uh, 19%. Wow. So that means that career ladder, you know, we're all making it up, including your employers. And, you know, so being able to say, okay, well, if nothing's set in stone, then I'm going to make this the way I want to make it, right? And that's a skill in itself, right? But it mm-hmm. is, it's a mindset shift. And I think that should give some at least confidence to people who aren't sure about what the next step is and just start taking ownership of it and saying, well, now that I have a chance to kind of define this, what do I want? Right? I think that's, um, that I am very comfortable with risk. I understand that, right? We yeah. moved every 18 to 24 months when I was growing up, right? Because yeah. my dad was an IBM guy. Oh, yeah. I moved. So every 18 to 24 months, we were moving. Mm-hmm. So if you do that a lot, as I suspect military children have the same thing. Yeah. I'm really comfortable with a little bit of chaos. Yes. <laughs> isn't any, I, I'm a chaos monster. Make some up, right? <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah. 18 to 24 months, if I haven't had any big change, I'm like, something mm-hmm. is not right with the world. Let's mm-hmm. shave my head. I'm just yeah. saying, <laughs> there just needs to be because that's what I'm accustomed to. But I think uh, this world of work is, if you let it, the most empowering that we have had in a really long time. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Now, granted, there's a lot of freedom because no one's going to tell you, hey, if you come here and do great work, we're going to take care of you forever. Right. That's not going to happen. No. Mm-mm. But the there's a lot of joy that goes along with that. Because Absolutely. if you come here and you do great work in two years, you might be have you might be sitting in my chair. That happens right. way more today than it did twenty years ago. Right? Or hey, you come here and you do great work, and in a couple of years you want to go do great work doing something different. People aren't going to look at you like you've lost your mind if you do that today. Right? Versus right when my dad was in the works, he would never have thought of leaving a company after five years. And right. when I did it, I switched jobs. I think, I don't know, every seven years. And he's like, are you ever going to settle down? And I was like, yeah. honey, oh, yeah. stop paying attention. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I just, <laughs> I've, I, I'm have you advocating what it. I'm doing. I am kind of kicking my killing it right are, now. Thank you. And you are busy asking me if I'm going to calm down. <laughs> I know. I, you know, I, it, and you know what, that's that generational thing. My mother did the same thing to me. Um, when I, um, I ended up doing my graduate program abroad in another country because long story short, I got bored one day and started Googling graduate programs abroad and I wanted to live abroad for two years. That was the lifestyle I wanted. And so I found this graduate program, ended up getting a scholarship for it. Um, and so I quit my corporate job to go. And my mom's like, well, aren't you going to, same thing, aren't you going to settle down and work your way up in the company? And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I do a, I don't want to work for this company. B, this is a free scholarship for two years in a foreign country where I'm just going to dance and study and meet people with hot accents. Yes, this is what I'm going to do. Right. Like, I mean, I may have put it differently to my mother, but like, you know, that's what I was thinking. I don't know you that well. I don't know your mother, but I'm thinking probably the hot accents part. I left that part off. (laughs) That probably didn't enter into the conversation. That was how I was thinking. And you know what that, you know, that just goes back to the generational difference there. And we, that was 10 years ago. And now we're fully in this world, you know, where, where, you know, things have shifted. And I really, I like what you said about, you know, the joy, there is this joy, you know, creating your own job, um, pitching yourself to an employer because their job description isn't quite right, but you know, you can do that job. Right. Yes. Um, and the posture that their job description was missing some stuff that you have that exactly. you know that job really requires. If that isn't the sexiest posture to have. Okay. So here's your job description. Uh, honey, love, let, let me, me tell, tell you, you what you're missing. <laughs> Right. And two things that you need. And oh, by the way, who has them? This girl. This right girl. Here. Well, and there goes back to our experienced career changers here. You know, again, we tend to think, oh God, I've got to start over. But it's like, oh no, no, no. You're just repositioning, right? You're re- yes. reinventing yourself. And reinvention comes with thinking, thinking about what you already bring to the table and how you can apply it in a different context alongside some new skills. Absolutely. Yeah. This has been so much fun. I don't know what to do with myself. No, I, I know. Just, I watch and I'm like, I lied about how much time we were I don't usually do that. Honestly, wow. I don't lie. But okay. I have so enjoyed having you on here. It was so awesome. And there are so many juicy nuggets in this. I'm going to have it transcribed instantly to make okay. sure that nobody misses a thing. But Brilliant. before well, I you. let you go, is there anything that you wanted, any nugget you wanted to drop that you didn't get to do yet? Um. I don't, you know what? I don't know. We've had such an extensive conversation about. I told you I was fascinated. And you're a great communicator Thank who's you. obviously, you know, very curious yourself about the future and, and your listeners. And, you know, I just want to tell your listeners, you know, I, I know there's change and I know it's chaos, but, but really work on finding your opportunity in there because there's so much possibility 
in the future of work. I know we hear a lot about robots taking our jobs. I know we hear you. you see oh, I didn't effects. ask that. I know. Are robots really taking our jobs? Not, not yes and no. No, in the sense that it's more like your jobs are being augmented by automated platforms, right? Okay. So jobs are changing. That sounds much better. Right. Um, in some cases in like manufacturing, you are Amazon obviously leading the way in the warehouses. You are seeing robots you know, replace some of the workers. Now they say that's not going to replace that they will retrain them. Do I don't, I don't, yeah, but we, no one has any way to prove that or not. So, you know, so it's, this is a very short answer to a complicated question. Um, the idea is, <laughs> which in, I threw in at the right, very end. I love it. I love it. Like, so oh, yeah, yeah, that's my final great thought. To you. Hey, yeah. Oh yeah. Our oh, yeah, robots. By the way. <laughs> okay. For the you know second what? time in this conversation, <laughs> I apologize. I didn't mean to ask the most loaded question on the planet. Right. To wrap up. <laughs> to wrap up. No, but, but maybe. You mentioned robots and I was like, oh, wait, are robots? Okay. So. <laughs> you know, it always goes that. back to like, look beyond what you see in the headlines, right? Investigate what's happening in your own organization. I know. I know. <laughs> Well, thank you. This is super fun. So, so, so much. much. And okay, quickly, tell my listeners if they want to get more of what you're putting down, where do they get it? Um, you can go to my website. I write on topics of emerging careers, AI in the workplace. Um, I write about podcasts that I listen to as well, because I love podcasts. Um, And your URL? It's at futureskills.blog. And you can find information about me on there. I also have a book coming out in October that is very much aligned with what we talked about today. So it's a book specifically for career changers to teach people how to change careers and adapt to the new world of work. Okay. I'm just going to put you on the spot. Will you come back? Oh, you betcha. I will come back. Especially in October. We'll have questions. I'm writing it down. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Have me back. I will. This has been so much fun and I already know. You and I have all kinds of things we can talk about. So <laughs> book is that? I'm already putting this down and I'm oh. so, and I have systems, right? It's not AI. It's like mm-hmm. a real human, but it's yes. going to remind me in like September. Hey, hey, in touch with Nicole. <laughs> her book is coming out. So absolutely. I will be circling back with you on that. Thank you so, so much for pouring into my audience's life. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate you so much. I knew that conversation was going to be good. I just didn't know how good. I hope you enjoyed that visit with Nicole as much as I did. She'll definitely be back in October when her book comes out, especially to talk about the chapter called Punch Doubt in the Face. If you have any questions that you'd like to ask Nicole for our next time, send me an email at podcasts at AllegraSinclair.com or leave a comment on the show notes at AllegraSinclair.com slash 061. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time.